Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at the baptism of Jesus, and uh, I'm just really, really hopeful and, and, in, and feeling a sense of anticipation uh, today as we are together as a family. Uh, just a few times a year, we gather with our younger members and our older members all in the room together, and uh, kiddos who are in the room, welcome. I'm super, super thankful to have you with us worshiping. We are better off when we experience God together. Uh, and I just love how often the spleen comes up in our church. It's amazing. It's like Nate, who's one of our staff pastors, is a physician. He was talking about the spleen. We have songs about the spleen. I've never thought about the spleen as much as I have in the recent weeks and months. And I still don't feel like I really know what it is. But I'm glad God made it and we're in it together. Uh, if you are uh, ready, we're going to read just a few short verses. And then we're going to share something that uh, I, I think... Just to be really bold about it, I, I believe that the great project that God has when he thinks about your life and mine is connected to you and me understanding and believing in our belovedness, in his love for us. Uh, the reason why our first core commitment is to experience the love of God and life in the spirit is that apart from an awareness of our belovedness, of God's love for us, I think we will struggle in other parts of our life, and we're going to focus on that today uh, because God the Father focused on that at Jesus' baptism. So I'm going to read, then we're going to pray, and we'll jump in. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear something important. From your word today. God, whether we are older or younger, I pray that all of us would be able to be present here in our minds and in our hearts and in our bodies, and that you would help us to hear something that is good news, that we would, as Jesus said, as the writer says here in Mark, believe the good news. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So just a few things today, because uh, I know we'll have some wiggly people in the room and some nervous parents because there are wiggly people in the room. So we're just going to run right through this. Number one, the text teaches us and tells us about the baptism of Jesus. So Jesus is baptized. And we got baptism coming up in the Easter season. Uh, and I just want to say that um, if you are young or old um, and you are following Jesus or your family is following Jesus and you're being raised in that family, baptism is for you. It's for all who belong in this big family that we call the church, little ones and old ones alike who are putting their trust as households and as individuals in Jesus. And I just think it's so important for us to acknowledge that we are as Christians invited to follow Jesus into baptism. Uh, Jesus was baptized and we see it right here. And there's an invitation for us to be baptized. And I talk to people all the time who say things like, well, I'm an introvert. 
And I don't want to get wet in front of a whole bunch of people. And I just want to say I get that. And yet, there's something so beautiful and powerful about baptism. And I just want to say three things about baptism. There are three kind of symbolic characteristics of baptism. And what we know as Christians is that baptism is symbolic and it's powerful. It's not just a symbol, but it is symbolic. It's a powerful symbol. It's the life of God and the symbolic come together in these sacraments. And so three things symbolic about baptism. One, cleansing. When you're dirty, you get a bath. Uh, kids, whether you like it or not, it's good to get baths. Good to like get behind your ears and brush your teeth. Uh, because it's cleansing is important for us. Baptism also reminds us of something old going under and something new coming up. So in a very real way, baptism represents like life, death, burial, resurrection. So baptism speaks to us about new life. And thirdly, baptism speaks to us about moving through. If you've been to one of our baptism services, we have this huge, monstrous baptismal tank. And it used to be really small. It used to look like a horse trough. And I said something to Marty one day. I was like, we need to do baptism in a way that's different and reminds us of the way the church used to do baptism a long time ago, which is that you enter into one side of the pool and you exit out the other. So he, you came through. <laughs> you enter into one side and you exit out the other. Guys, baptism's always been about moving through. Think about the Jewish story. Leaving Egypt, they had to move through a body of water in order to go into freedom. There was always a sense of moving through. Think about the Israelites at the end of their wandering. They moved through the Jordan River um, in to get into promised land. They had to move through a body of water. And so baptism is always about moving. It's about cleansing. It's about an old life going and a new life emerging. And it's about moving through. I believe that our faith and our life with God is always about the Lord doing those things in us. And so I just want to say that if you have not ever been baptized, reach out to us. We want to put you through a process of preparation. Kiddos in the room, um, it will be good for you to be baptized. You talk to Pastor Dave and we are going to make a plan to get parents and kids working together, adults in this room. We've got almost 80 people going through an alpha course right now. And a lot of them are not people who would say that they're Christian, but we're gathering on Thursday nights and we're talking about Jesus and we're drinking beer together and we're learning about God and asking questions. And there are going to be people coming through that that are going to probably say, I want to be baptized. We want to walk with you through that process because we think it's really important. Jesus was baptized. We also get to follow him into those waters. The second thing we see in this passage, and this is where I'm going to kind of park for a little while, is we see approval before achievement in Jesus. What does God say to him? This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. And y'all, I just want to say it. Jesus had never preached a sermon at this point, had never walked on water, had never performed miracles, had certainly not risen from the dead. All the things that Jesus would one day do public in terms of ministry, you know, like the Jesus-y things we're aware of, he'd not done those things. And yet the Lord looked at him and said, you are my son, the beloved, and with you I am pleased. One of the things that I believe the Lord wants to do for us is to not just speak belovedness over Jesus, his son, but to speak about his love over every single one of us. Approval and acceptance before achievement. 
And many of us come into a space like this and that is not what we've been taught. Let's look at these two slides. From time to time, we actually bring this up. I think this is actually one of the most important ideas that you'll ever hold as you think about the life of Jesus as it relates to your life. The cycle of works is the way we live our lives most of the time, which is we begin with achievement, We hope that'll make us feel like somebody, feel significant. We then have to sustain that achievement and that significance, hoping one day to find acceptance. I believe everybody ultimately wants to find acceptance and the way the world tells us, and for many of us, the way our families of origin have taught us is, well, you're as good as your grades. You're as good as you are at sports. You're as good as you are in your reputation or as you get more grown up, you're as good as you are at your job or you're as good as you are as you are successful in relationships. And many of us are on this exhausting gerbil wheel trying to get to a place of feeling loved. It's my conviction that most of the dumb and destructive stuff we do in life is a desperate attempt to find acceptance and love. And we end up hurting ourselves Oftentimes we turn to shortcuts because we just want to feel at rest. We want to feel loved. But this cycle is a cycle of exhaustion and devastation. It's a cycle that literally does not work. And it's been taught to all of us in one way or another and reinforced by our society. But there's another way. In the 1950s, when Frank Lake and Emil Bruner started to research why missionaries were burning out, they said, let's look at Jesus's life. Jesus began with a sense of acceptance. Before he ever did, he was accepted and loved. And then he experienced sustenance, spiritual practices that reinforced a sense of belovedness and connection to God and others. That yielded a sense of significance. He knew who he was. You're supposed to know who you are, that you're a creature of immeasurable dignity, that you matter. And then it led to achievement, or if you're like too religious for achievement, it led to fruit bearing. (laughs) Jesus worked the other way around. He wants us to begin to work the other way around. And I'm going to tell you, you've got work to do, and so do I, before we begin to understand the things that are keeping us from entering into the cycle of grace. Parents in this room, the thing the Lord wants you to give to your kids is a sense of belovedness and acceptance before achievement. But many of us don't know how to do that because we weren't taught that. We weren't, that wasn't modeled for us. So we're kind of like resistant to the softening work of God. We, it runs off of us like trying to pour water on a, on a piece of wood versus a sponge. And many of us really struggle with this understanding of acceptance. But I want to tell you the great project that God has for us is to speak to us about our acceptance, our belovedness. Blake Handley, would you bring like some combination of your children up here and stand with me for a second? It's not going to be, well, it'll be kind of scary. I get it. I understand that. But I'm not going to make you do anything. So y'all look at me this way. So this is the Underwood family. And what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to do acceptance work, first for your kids, and then I'm going to do it for you guys. And for all the grown-ups in the room, I want you to put yourself in Handley and Blake's shoes And I want you to try to hear these words as if they were being spoken to you. And I want you to pay attention to the places where you would struggle to believe it and to receive it. And I want you to contrast it with what it feels like when it's spoken over the kids. Kids, I just want to say that you are 
deeply loved by God. And you're not loved because you're good. You're not loved because you're going to grow up and do really important things. There's nothing you can do that will change how much God loves you. So as you live your life, I want you to hear this from me. You are loved and you are blessed and you are safe and you are secure because you are children of God. So all the things the world's going to teach you about how to be important, all the things you're going to do, you can't do anything that's going to make God love you more because he loves you so much and you are loved by him. Now, it's easy for us to believe this with these kids because they haven't messed their lives up yet. <laughs> these guys are amazing, but they've lived a little longer than these. So, Blake, you are the beloved of God, and there's nothing you can do that will make him love you more. He sees you, and he affirms you, and he loves you. And that love is deeper than anything that you'll ever have for these kids because it comes straight from the heart of God. You're his child. Handley, you are the beloved of God. And you're not loved more because of what you've done or where you've been or what you have. You are loved because you belong to him. And you look like him. You're made in his image. And because of that, when he looks at you, he says, I bless you. And he says, I bless you. You're made to be loved. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Underwoods. Thank you for letting me speak over you. It's harder for us to believe belovedness the longer we live because we, we mess up. We make mistakes. And Blake and Hanley are... They're beloved members of our church and they love their family well and they live their lives with intentionality and yet they're not perfect. We have regrets. And I believe that it's really important for us to wonder out loud even, why is it easier for me to believe that those kids are the beloved and harder for me to believe that I am? Jesus was beloved by his father. And the way that we learn to live our lives, the way that we learn to engage in spiritual practices and have a sense of who we are and to do things before God must flow out of a belovedness. And yet I just want to say there are barriers to understanding and embracing our belovedness. There are some of you in this room that are just in your minds and in your bodies, you're just pushing back and you're going, that can't and isn't really fundamentally true for me. I got to earn it. And I just want to say, this is where some of us need to get into redemptive conversations. Some of us need to go to counseling. It took me time to sit with my own story and my own life to be able to recognize that there were barriers to me accepting and beginning to believe that I was the beloved of God. And in some ways, that work prepared me for facing the darkness of my own life. I'll never forget, it was three, whenever, three years ago or so when I hit the wall of burnout and I was at the Walton on the Chattahoochee at the river. It's an amazing place. It's a good, if you're falling apart, it's a really good place to go because uh, you can sit by the river. And I was laying on a blanket under the river. I was away from work and just feeling like I was, uh, all the things that I thought would help me feel loved. I didn't think I was living in the cycle of works, but I, I, there were parts of me that really were. 
And here I am like in the middle of burnout and I'm not able to do my job and I'm feeling like a disappointment to my friends and my church and my family. And I'm laying under this, um, this tree looking up at the sky going, I don't know if I really believe that I'm loved. And the way that I began to tease it out was I began to think, well, I know God loves me, but he loves me because he has to love me. Like he loves me because he's God and you know, it's like he, I had sometimes a picture of like him like pinching his nose and, you know, like you stink so bad, but I'm going to love you anyway. And it was a kind of a reluctant love. And I remember laying under that tree and looking up at the sky and just thinking, there are parts of me that aren't sure that I believe that I'm loved by you unless I'm really good and useful and have it together. I don't remember who it is. It's one of the guys in the, in the New Testament, maybe like a centurion of some kind that says something like, I believe, help my unbelief. And I've really come to appreciate that guy. Because what he was basically saying is like, there's a part of me that really believes this. And then there are other parts that are just not sure because I've been taught that I need to be useful, good, successful, and that I'll one day feel loved. And I remember at that moment thinking, I'm either going to bring all that complexity to God and see him work healing in my life and in my story, or I'm not. The Lord wants to look at you in the same way that I looked at Handley and Blake and their kids and say, you are my beloved and there is nothing you can do to make me love you less or more. Now, does sin matter? Does life count? Of course it does. There are realities that we have to live out, but those realities don't affect the way God sees us and the way that he feels about us. And I just want to say you're loved by him. And that's a fundamental work. And for some of us, we need to get into working on where our resistance, where that sense of I don't know if that's for me comes from. Because it comes from somewhere. And the Lord wants to speak to it. And for those of you who are parents in the room, you cannot give that which you are not receiving. So rather than that feeling like shame, that's an invitation for us to begin to receive it so that we can turn around and give it. Because I've never met a parent that says, I'm all in on the cycle of works, at least not inside this place. I want to teach my kids that they're only as good as their, you know, their arm is a pitcher or a quarterback, or they're only as good as their grades or as, as good as their feet in dance. And yet oftentimes that which we've received, we just pass it on down the line. God wants to disrupt that in you. And what I found in my own life is it begins oftentimes with a sense of awareness. This is true. And I just want to say it to you, it's true. And then after the awareness, sometimes we have to build a little bit of a worldview, but then we have to actually face where the resistance comes from. So if you're in a place of awareness, Thanks be to God. Take a picture of this. Consider this. If you want to build a little worldview, read Trevor Hudson's book, The Cycle of Grace. It's probably out there. You can find it on Amazon or Brendan Manning's book, Abba's Child. But don't stop there. Get into why it might be challenging for you. Pete Scazzaro, one of my favorite pastors, says, Jesus is in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. <laughs> and I think he's right. There are places in us that need healing. God wants to touch those places. And I believe he wants to touch them in you, whether you're a parent or not. He wants to touch them in us, whether we're old or young, because God cares a great deal about us. He loves us. I stand before you today more 
aware of my weakness and my limitations than ever before and more aware of my belovedness than ever before. Those things together. And I just think that's possible for all of us to be growing in that dual awareness. You are loved by God. The last thing I want to say is this. Wilderness experiences are an essential part of life. Jesus goes from a place of belovedness and blessing and baptism into the wilderness. He goes into a place where he is alone, where he feels tempted and tested, where he is attended to and cared for. And I believe as we step into this Lenten season that all of us have an opportunity to enter into a season of intentional wilderness wandering. We have an opportunity to recognize that it's not always bad to pare things down a little bit. It's not too late for you to participate in the Lenten journey. It started on Ash Wednesday. We're just a few days in. It's not too late to step in. But some of you may not be in just a Lenten journey. This may be a season in your life, a bigger season, where you're experiencing some pruning, some winnowing, some loneliness even. Things may feel harder, more difficult than they have at other times in your life. I want to say that the wilderness, if you will allow it to do this, is always an invitation for us to learn how to be present to reality, to what's going on inside of us, and to the presence of God. God only ever finds us in the present. And what I've found is that sometimes wilderness periods lead us into the present reality. And the truth of the matter is, like we said last week, many of us are carrying things that we cannot carry, that are too heavy for us to carry. Parts of life that are overly burdensome and complex that are weighing us down. I'll never forget reading Bill Bryson's book, A Walk in the Woods. Um, if you want to laugh out loud, you should read this book. It's about um, a, a guy who decides to section hike the Appalachian Trail, and he's relatively fit, and he invites a friend of his who is less fit to, to hike with him. And that friend loads up his backpack with things like Snickers bars and soft drinks. And I mean, it's amazing. And like halfway down the trail, this guy's throwing things out into the ravines. He's just like littering and plundering the earth because he realizes, I cannot carry it. You, in this season in life, are being invited to join with people around you and recognize what is God asking me to put aside so that I can walk through life. And the gift of Lent is that we do it together. And so I want to invite you to follow Jesus, not just into baptism, not just into belovedness, but into the wilderness. And to welcome the wilderness as a part of life because wilderness time teaches us to live our lives in the day after day, brings us into a place of presence. Too much weight on your back will make you very focused on the present and show you where the invitation is to do something about it. So here's the question I want us to consider before we come to communion, and I would invite you to engage this as you journal your way through the week. Consider the, the cycle of works and the cycle of grace. And I want to ask, what role does acceptance and belovedness play in your life? And for many of us, this is going to be really hard because it probably doesn't feature like it ought to. And then I want to modify the second question, which is the one I wrote, but I, get, I reserve the right to change things that I write. Um, rather than is there, where is the invitation for you? Because I believe there's an invitation for all of us. And it might be that you read the cycle of grace but I would encourage you, please don't leave it in the intellectual space. 
Because God wants to deal with some of our resistance to accepting that we are the accepted, beloved children of God. And that takes work and it takes partnership. We as your pastors want to be able to walk alongside you. We want to connect you to redemptive conversations that will help you that are both inside and outside the church. But we have work to do here in order to recognize who God is. Because moms and dads, you can't give that which you haven't received. You can't lead where you haven't gone. So let's go there. Let's receive, whether we're parents or not in this room. Let's hold this question just for a few moments before we come to the communion table. Let's be still together in this place as we consider where and what the invitation is regarding acceptance and belovedness.